The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. And that's page 986 in the Church Bibles and 1,499 in the large print Church Bibles. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Thanks very much, Jane. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Earlier this year, we did um, a marriage course here in the church, and about 15 couples who, who attended. Uh, the videos we used were based on a book by Paul Tripp called What Did You Expect? It's an interesting title for a course on marriage. Um, the thing is, whether we are aware of it or not, we go into marriage with certain expectations. Maybe we have romantic ideals, Maybe we are aware of some of the faults in our other half, um, but we think we'll be able to change them. Certainly many people go into it thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, we'll just get a divorce. Which is why we're in the situation today where 42% of marriages in this country end in divorce. And going back to the marriage course, it was challenging for a number of reasons. For example, first, it it made clear to husbands and wives that if we think the problem in our marriage is our other half, get them to change and everything will be fine, we're seriously mistaken. We first need to look at our own hearts and see where we are going wrong. Because it's never just one person's fault. In any case, is it for us to change our spouse? Uh, or an opportunity to show the grace of God in that situation. Secondly, by making it clear that marriage is not about the, the big moments. You know, husbands don't think by taking your wife out and treating her to a romantic dinner, it will make her forget about just how selfish, demanding, and neglectful you are in the home. 
Marriage is about the accumulation of lots of small, everyday, practical moments in which we can express our love and appreciation. Now, we could go on, but whether you are someone here who is married or not, I hope the sermon this morning will be useful to you. Uh, Because it's not just for married people and how they can improve their marriage. It's about why God designed marriage in the first place. And one of the main reasons was to provide a picture of the relationship between God and his people. And that is based on a covenant in which he promises to be faithful to his, his people and they promise to be faithful to him. Now, God being God, they're the faithful one, as we've just sung about. He keeps his side of the covenant. But sadly, humans, being humans, they fail to keep theirs. Which is why this passage in Matthew 19 comes after the passage we looked at last week about forgiveness. The fact that there is no limit to the number of times that God in his mercy is willing to forgive us for being unfaithful to him. Another sermon series we are in the middle of is about kingdom values. And these are the ones that we're looking at on the screen here. But all the, the values we're looking at in this series, and they're taken from Matthew 18 to 20, they are inevitably linked. Now you can't sort of pick and choose one. Um, you like this one, but not that one. It's not like um, you know, a packet of wine gums. I'll have the purple one, but I don't want the yellow one. I don't know who likes yellow ones anyway, but, um, you know, you can't promise faithfulness without humility, forgiveness, and sacrifice. But let's take a look, take a look at the passage. You've got your Bible handy there if it's in front of you. Because once again, Jesus is teaching, and his teaching is, pro- is prompted by a question that is put to him. Now, this time it's not a, a genuine question by one of his disciples. It's a question by some of the Pharisees that it says in verse 3, was designed to test him. In other words, to, to catch him out, to make him take sides in the, bait, in the debate that was going on. And the question is in verse 3, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, the particular passage they're referring to comes from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 24. Uh, where it says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he can write her a certificate of divorce. Now, although Israel recognized that the marriage covenant was an important thing, divorce was still happening. As the Pharisees referred to in their question, it was pretty much for any and every reason. Now, the reason Moses had made this uh, as law was um, really to protect the wives. Otherwise, they would be abandoned by their husbands for no reason, um, but their husband would still have rights over them. Um, so the divorce certificate gave them the right, to, the freedom to, to remarry and be freed from their obligations to, to their, their previous husband. But one of the areas of dispute was the phrase, something indecent or something displeasing. Was it uh, referring to adultery? Um, or was it just anything they took offence at? But instead of getting caught up in the debate, Jesus goes back to first principles. He goes back to creation. And the first point he makes is that God designed marriage as a picture of his faithfulness to his people. 
Have a look at verse 4, it's on the screen. Um, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God designed marriage. He made humans male and female. He designed them to become one flesh. And as Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So marriage is meant to be a union. And the purpose is to reflect the relationship between God and his people. Uh, that too is described as a covenant in which both parties um, promise to be faithful to one another. Now the sad thing is that throughout the Bible, time and time again, the people of Israel are unfaithful to their God. They go and bow down to other gods. Now God will be perfectly entitled to divorce them, um, but amazingly he remains faithful. The pain that he, you know, he experiences um, is made clear in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. Uh, this is what God tells the prophet Hosea to do. He says, go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Now, as expected, Hosea's wife is uh, unfaithful to him. Um, But then God says to him again, he says this, Go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man as an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. It's a powerful illustration of the, the faithfulness of God in the face of the unfaithfulness of his people. God is faithful, which means that when he makes a promise, um, we can trust that he will keep it. If he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, then we can trust him. In 1 John we're told, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now marriage as a picture of God's faithfulness to his people becomes clearer in the New Testament. If you turn now with me to the book of Ephesians, um, chapter 5, if you've got a church Bible, you'll find that on page 1176. And here we're told that the church is the bride of Christ and how Christ loves his bride sacrificially. Um, have a look at verse 21. I'll read, read down because these are quite important verses here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So the instructions given to husbands and wives are to love one another as Christ has loved his people and been faithful to them. And the amazing thing about that passage is that it acknowledges that the bride, the church, is not holy. It doesn't deserve the love of Christ. And yet, Jesus loves her. He makes her holy by sacrificing his life for her. And we have to see human marriage in that context. There won't be marriage between humans in heaven because the only marriage will be between Jesus and his people. So human marriage should be preparing us for that day, giving us the opportunity to live out our faith and show kingdom values in a particular relationship with one person. But what else do we go back to Matthew 19, learn about marriage from Jesus in this passage? Well, secondly, the marriage is the commitment of a man and woman to be faithful to one another. And a marriage, firstly, should be precisely that, between a man and a woman. When Jesus asked them, haven't you read at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female? And he's referring back to a passage in the book of Genesis. Uh, the point is that God made men and women complementary to one another as equal but different. Now, as we know, God's design um, for marriage has been rejected in, in recent years with uh, gay couples wanting to be married. Um, two people of the same sex wanting to have a sexual relationship goes against God's design, as it says in his word. It's not marriage as he designed it to be between a man and a woman. The passage also teaches us that it is God who made us male or female. He determined our gender. So it's not up to us to decide what gender we would like to be. Now, the union between man and a woman becoming one flesh is at one level sexual. Um, that expresses a great intimacy. But it's also more than that. You know, they're no longer two. They now share everything. There is an exclusive commitment to one another. And the love they have for one another is greater than any love they have in any other human relationship. And even with their parents, you know, they left their father and mother. Yes, they may still enjoy the support of them. Um, they will still seek to care for them. But their priority now is to one another. And so we need to be careful if we're parents here that we, we don't hang on to our children when they're, they're married. Um, we have to be willing to let go. And as a husband or wife, we, we have to be willing to make that change as well and put some distance between us and our parents for the sake of that marriage. In the same way that God is not willing to let anything break the relationship between him and his people, we shouldn't as married couples be willing to let anything break that relationship we have with our husband or wife. And the reason we exchange rings in a, in a marriage service is that they are a symbol of unending love and faithfulness. A reminder of the promises the couple have made, that they will stand by one another in good times and in bad times, in sickness 
and in health. But faithfulness is not just about committing adultery. Being faithful means being trustworthy. That you can be counted on to keep the commitments you've made. And that you love one another from the heart. And the problem with the Pharisees and their question is it reveals their hearts, doesn't it? They're focusing on keeping the rules in their own strength rather than loving their wife or God with their own, with their whole heart. And that becomes clear when the Pharisees come back to Jesus in verse 7 with another question, which is why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus' answer reveals that according to God's design, a faithful marriage requires a heart of love. He replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And Jesus' big point in all his teaching is that being one of his followers, being a member of the kingdom of heaven, is not about complying with a set of rules. Jesus is not interested in a legalistic relationship. He wants a relationship from the heart. The Pharisees' first question um, revealed a misunderstanding of what the law is all about. Um, when they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? The law was designed to reveal the character of God. To help the people see, actually, their own inability to keep that law in their own strength. But relying on God's grace and forgiveness, they can be right with him. So it wasn't meant to be an entry test into the kingdom. um, Because no one can apply with the law perfectly. Only Jesus has ever been able to do that. So if they're looking for get-out clauses in the divorce contract, they have missed the point. It's like having a get-out clause in the relationship with God. There's no exceptions in, in kingdom values. You don't say, well, you should be humble. You should have a humble heart. But unless you do something really good, and then you can feel proud of yourself. You don't say you should forgive others as God forgave you, but when it gets to the 78th time, then okay, you no longer have to bother with that. If we're looking for an excuse, we've misunderstood the sort of relationship that Jesus wants with us. Now, of course, we will fail in all of these areas. Those values I put up on the screen earlier, we we won't always be humble. We won't always be forgiving. Um, We won't always be faithful. But there's a difference between trying from the heart to be humble, forgiving, and faithful, and looking for excuses not to be. When we try but fail, Jesus will forgive us. He will help us to grow in those qualities. If we're looking for an excuse not to be humble, forgiving, and faithful, we haven't got a heart of love. Now, I'm sure that does raise a question for some of you. Why does he mention sexual immorality as an exception that permits divorce? After all, it's not included in the the parallel passage in Mark and Luke's gospel. Well, I think the main point that Jesus is making here is that we should be striving for faithfulness. There should be no excuse for divorce. But we live in a fallen world, and 
there may be some situations such as sexual morality. Um, you could argue that he would accept abuse or abandonment as well, although he doesn't expect, spell that out, um, where there is no alternative. But even then, we have to be careful. We don't treat it as an excuse. We don't um, say, well, your husband's had an affair. That's the excuse you've been waiting for. Now we can end the marriage. Don't forget that whole passage before this about forgiveness. An affair, you know, bad as it is, shouldn't necessarily lead to an automatic divorce. If there's persistent adultery and no repentance, then, then it may be inevitable. But um, forgiveness and faithfulness are key here. Now, as far as remarriage is concerned, we haven't really got time to get into that this morning. It's a complicated area, and as pastors, we've been looking at that a bit recently. Uh, there's a lot of different views of pastors and scholars on that. Um, some say remarriage is okay in certain situations. Others say that it's never okay unless, unless you're a widow. But um, whatever your view, I don't think the first thing you should be doing, if you do sadly end up in that situation, is finding another husband and wife, that that is your top priority as if that is the answer to all your problems. Because our fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. It's not in our marriage. Which brings us on to the last section, that marriage is a calling that is not for everyone. Now, the disciples here are are thinking, wow, this is pretty uh, strong commitment you have to make if you're going to get married. Um, And so they say to Jesus, you know, they're quite blunt in some of their questions. They say to them, if this is a situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. To which Jesus replies, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. And he goes on to talk about eunuchs um, who have been born that way, those who have genetic defects. He mentions those um, who've made themselves eunuchs, who've been physically castrated. But finally, he then mentions those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Those like Jesus, like John the Baptist, like Paul, who are willing to remain single, uh, to forego marriage, because they feel they should focus all their energies on serving God, knowing that if they were to marry, they would have divided loyalties. Now, Paul talks further about this in 1 Corinthians 7. It might be be useful just to turn over to that, a few um, books um, in your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians 7, page um, 1148 in the Church Bibles, and uh, 1149. And Mark did preach on this recently in a recent series, which you can find on the website. But uh, if you weren't there, look at verse 32. This is what Paul says. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So singleness is not a sort of second best thing. Um, In some ways, it's a preferred option. 
So what he's saying is don't remain single because you're afraid of commitment. Remain single if you want to be more committed to the Lord. Use your extra time, uh, maybe your extra money to serve and not to be self-indulgent. Now we should also remember that marriage itself is a gift. It's not, it's not a right. Um, there will be some who maybe haven't chosen to be single but haven't yet found the right person. And they may be quite angry at God that he hasn't helped them find the right person. But in that case, what you're saying to God is, actually, I'm not happy with your plans for me. Um, My relationship with you doesn't give me complete fulfillment. I need something more. And the danger in that case is that you enter into a relationship which is not healthy. Um, maybe you go against God's word, and, and if you're a Christian, marry somebody who's, who's not a Christian. But before we finish, although God has uh, focused in this passage on the marriage relationship, we all are called to be faithful in all of our relationships in the church. As a church, we are a family. Um, we all share the same Heavenly Father. We are brothers and sisters to one another. And so we need to be faithful to one another. You know, what does that look like? Well, in the same way that we enter into a, a covenant of marriage, we can enter into a covenant with, with God, with, with one another. In the membership pack, there is um, uh, this leaflet which, um, which includes a confession of what we believe as a church. And also a covenant, which is how we agree to behave as Christians and members of this church. Now, these are all commands of Jesus, which you'll find in his Bible, um, which are collected in in one place. I won't go through all of these now, because Mark will be um, preaching on this in a few weeks' time. But let me just finish this morning with a couple of the promises that we make to be faithful to one another. And you'll find them on the screen behind me. I will seek to love my fellow church members with the kind of love with which the Lord Jesus Christ loves us. I will do everything I can to encourage them in their Christian discipleship, praying for them and being as regular as possible in my attendance of the meetings of the church. I'll be patient with those I find difficult, gracious towards those with whom I disagree about secondary matters and forgiving towards those who wrong me. I will do everything possible to foster our love and unity, and to avoid anything which might disrupt our fellowship together. And it carries on. Do please pick it up and read it for yourself. But by the grace of God, that sort of faithful love may it characterize our marriages and may it characterize all of our relationships in the church. Amen. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father, just in the quietness of our heart, we recall afresh that thing we thought of earlier in the service, that area of our life where we're thankful for how you have been faithful, or that area of our life where we're crying out to see your faithfulness at work. And we pray, Lord, this week you would reveal yourself to us afresh. Show us that you are faithful. Show us that your promises are true. Show us that you are the rock on which we can build our lives.
Lord, thank you for all that we've learned together this morning. And we prayed for any in marriages that are painful, for any where marriages have ended, for any where they would love to be married and aren't yet married. And we pray, as we've just sung, that your grace would be enough. But also, Lord, we look at all areas of our life because marriage is just one illustration of faithfulness. And we are called to be faithful in all areas of our life as that reflects the faithfulness of the God who made us. So, Lord, whatever the situation is that we will return to on Monday morning, we pray and we ask that your grace would be enough for us particularly where we face situations that wouldn't be our choosing, which are painful. We thank you that you promise to never leave us and never forsake us. And Lord, I particularly pray right now for any in this room who feel abandoned by you, who feel alone, perhaps for any who are here who aren't yet trusting in Christ and can't call you Father. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to these people in power this week. Prove yourself to be faithful. And Lord, as we think about faithfulness, we thank you for how amazingly faithful you have been to us. That you do forgive and keep on forgiving and keep on forgiving. Lord, you're patient with us. You love us when our life is sorted and we're thriving and you still love us the same when our life falls apart. You are faithful in all that you do, and we thank you and praise you for that. And we pray, Father, that your grace would be enough for us this week. Amen. As we close, I'm going to read the words of the grace. They come at the end, if you didn't know, the words that we often say in church, the grace, comes at the end of the book of 2 Corinthians. And 1 and 2 Corinthians is letters written into problem people, struggling with all sorts of different things. And so I think it's really significant that it's at the back of that letter that Paul writes these words, so let's close on them as I read them to us. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. And Lord, we pray this week that your grace would be enough for us. Amen.